Anytime we enter into a new year, there can be a temptation, secular anywhere you want, it can come from any direction, and there can be a temptation that this new year needs to be a time where I can improve myself. Do you ever feel this? We say, hey, you know, 2023 had its challenges, but this is the year where I'm going to step up. I'm going to take a radical step in this direction. I'm going to really own my life this year. And then the challenge is, is that the longer we get into the new year, whether it's a New Year's resolution we made and we're eight days in or 13 days in or a month in, what starts to happen? We start to go back to normal life because at the end of the day, as Christians, here's something we know. As followers of Jesus, none of us can improve ourselves. Have you ever really thought about that? None of us really can improve ourselves. The ways that we fall short, the ways that we need Jesus, if we simply are trying to do self-improvement, we end up with disappointment and we end up with regret. However, we know that Jesus transforms us from the inside out, that when we say, hey, this is not going to be a year where I'm going to improve, but Lord, this will be a year where I'm going to be open to your leading in my life. And we realize that the Holy Spirit now works in our hearts and leads us and transforms us, then better things are possible. And so as we're thinking of that, what I really want to be clear of is that here's a tangible way we can be open to the leading of God this year. It's by having the right mindset. So for the next four weeks, we're going to be doing a series that we're calling Jesus Mindset. Because the Apostle Paul encourages us in Philippians, he says, hey, have the same mind as Christ. And so it's not that we're going to improve ourselves for four weeks, but to have the same mind as Christ, we want to be open to his leading in our lives and be open to the fact that when we start to see the world like Jesus does, we'll be less frustrated, we'll be less anxious, we'll be an easier spouse to be around, we'll be an easier parent to be around. He's your co-worker, and will live with ourselves a little bit better. And so the first one we're going to look at this week is we're going to look at the fact that it is too often easy to get the idea of neighbor and stranger mixed up, isn't it? That so often we treat others like strangers instead of neighbors. Now, we do have small groups in this church. I was with one of our small groups on, on Tuesday, um, at the Silvera home, and we put out these two words, stranger and neighbor. And what's hard with them as Americans, right? What's hard with them is that these words can have a lot of overlap. Think about it. The people you live with, to the right or to the left of you or across the street, there are neighbors, but they can be strangers, can't they? So often the people that the Lord has put in our lives as neighbors... They are strangers. And then too often, we just confuse what it means to have a neighbor. We treat people like strangers when they could be our neighbors. And so what we're going to look at is we're going to look at an opportunity to do something differently. But anytime we look at this concept of neighbors, as Americans still a few years into the 21st century, it's helpful to start with Fred Rogers and to remember this centering idea. So, 
If you're thinking about, hey, you know, I've got people that I come into contact with and I just kind of am impersonal with them. To treat them like neighbors, let's remember Fred. So who's Fred? Fred Rogers had, of course, a wonderful TV show in Canada that no one really watched. Then it got picked up and moved to Pittsburgh and it became a cultural sensation. What was the name of his TV show? Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And how beloved was it? Do we love Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Now here's the thing. It became a big deal. It became a really big deal in life. And so what we started to see with Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood is now Fred became an international icon. Okay? And so he had an opportunity, this was a while ago, but he had an opportunity to fly to Boston and he was going to meet with the bigwigs up at WGBH. And so he got on the airplane and he arrived at the airport and he got outside and there was a limo. And so he got in his limo and he rode and he went over to the home of the WGBH president. But of course, being Fred, he struck up a conversation on the way there with the limo driver. And when they got there, he turned to the limo driver and said, so what are you going to be doing now while I'm in there? And the limo driver said, well, it's going to be about two hours long. I'm going to wait. You're going to go in, and I'll see you at the end and drive you home. And Fred said, no, that's not what we're going to do. You're coming in with me to dinner, and we're going to all have a nice dinner together. And the limo driver essentially said, I'm just your limo driver. Don't worry about that. That's fine. He said, no, I insist. And they had dinner together with the head of WGBH, Fred Rogers and the limo driver. And then when the meal was over, what happened? Fred sat up front, got to know him. His name was Billy. And they struck up a wonderful conversation. And they even had coffee at Billy's parents' house on the way home. Now, the point of that is that it's not that we need to live exactly like Fred Rogers. It's that we want to understand that the people God puts into our lives, they don't need to be treated like strangers. It doesn't mean that we want to have no barriers and, and we want to have no, no boundaries. What we want to say is instead is that when I view the people that come into my life, I can view them as people that God invites me to have compassion for, to care about, to walk alongside. And so that takes us to the first of our stories. It's going to take us to the idea that when we see people as our neighbors, it changes everything. And that is seen perfectly in a wonderful story of Jesus called the story of the Good Samaritan. So if you turn with your Bibles, we're going to be in the 10th chapter of Luke's gospel. And what we're going to see here, it's really interesting because this story is one of the most wonderful and familiar stories that we come into contact with. And Jesus has an opportunity to explain what's going on because this person is going to come up and question him and give him a hard time. And so let's see what happens. We're going to start in this story. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Do you see that? We immediately try to figure out, well, 
strangers, right? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying, he crossed there to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So you see in this story, so we have, if you notice, it never brings up the title Good Samaritan. Let's Sometimes when we look at these stories, it's helpful to realize that we've had a lot of discussions and Sunday school and conversations and pop culture and all sorts of things that give us a lot of ideas about Bible stories. I want you to put your hand to your head for a moment, pull out any previous information from your brain about this, and we're going to set it aside, okay? We're not saying it's wrong. We're just going to put it on the bookshelf because there are three ways to live in life. There's taking there's bystanding, and there's being like Jesus. And in this story that Jesus tells, he shows that we have an option. When we're treating people who are our neighbors like they are strangers, we're probably either taking or bystanding. And Jesus offers us a different way to live. And so as we're looking at having a Jesus mindset in our lives right now, not improving, but being open to the Holy Spirit, what we can realize is that if we're taking, we can identify it and we can move on. So let's start in this story and let's look at what it means. So that the first way to live is as a taker, okay? So what you see is you see Jesus tells this story. And he describes a Jewish man as just walking from one place to another. He's on a road. Have you ever walked on a road? Right? You walk on a road. Everybody does this. And do you expect to get attacked? No. So he's just minding his own business. He doesn't think this is part of his day. He hasn't worked it into his schedule or calendar. And he's walking along and bam, a bunch of takers, a bunch of people who are looking at life for themselves, my needs, my wants, my priorities. They attack him. They take his stuff and they leave him on the ground. And it's really hard and it's horrible and it's damaging. Now, in the story, each bandit is not thinking of this guy, are they? They're not looking at this and saying, hey, this is my neighbor, but, you know, I'm more important, so I'm just going to give him a hard time. What are they doing? They're saying, hey, this is a stranger. This is a person I'm just going to treat like an object. I have needs. I have wants. I have all sorts of other stuff. And so I'm just going to go ahead and take what I need, and life is hard. It's hard for me. It's probably hard for him. Now, as we're looking from our perspective now, so that was in this original story, 
What I want you to think of is there was a, a wonderful uh, viral YouTube video, a TED Talk, a number of years ago by a guy named Adam Grant, and he talked about being a taker. And he also had a book that he wrote. And he's a psychologist, and here's what he said about being a taker. He said this, takers try to get people to serve their ends while carefully guarding their own expertise and time. Do we ever feel like we run into this in our workplace? in our extended families? Do we ever feel like we can default to this, where we can start to getting what we need, treating other people like objects, carefully guarding ourselves? It's something we want to be careful of, because if we're going to be open to following Jesus, if we get lulled into a taker mindset, we have a lot of challenges, and we are really no better than these bandits treating this poor guy in this awful way. Takers see a stranger who they don't have empathy for. And the problem is, is that culture, no matter culture 2,000 years ago or culture today, it does something called desensitization. Have you ever thought about this, how we get desensitized to things? You know, we start to look at people as objects, and therefore things aren't that big of a deal. How do we desensitize? I'm going to pick on a couple things. First of all, I want you to think about video game culture for a moment. I was a school teacher for a number of years, and I also was a, a frustrated young man, a teenager at one time. So I understand the allure of wanting to play hours and hours and hours of video games. The challenge is, is when we think of young young person gets home on a Friday night after school, right? And it's about 5 p.m., and they get onto the video game, and they're going to do a multiplayer shooting game with all these other people, and it's quick rounds, and you do a quick round, and you're doing headshots, and all these different things. The challenge with starting at 5 p.m. on a Friday and going all the way through the weekend until about Sunday at 4 p.m. when mom and dad say, hey, it's time to do the homework, the challenge is, is we're desensitizing young people, aren't we? We're just saying, hey, your entertainment can be so focused on killing people in a video game, that it's no big deal and it's not a big deal, and we're just simply wearing people down. We're desensitizing them. But I'm not just picking on video games. I'm not just picking on young people. In politics, we do the same thing. Think about this. How we talk about our opponents, how we talk about people on other sides of the aisles, we start to be takers. We start to just view people as objects, and we don't realize that they're our neighbors. It's not just politics. What else is it? It's social media. This morning, just uh, realizing that we were going to be talking about this, I jumped onto All Things Plymouth. And I don't ever post, and I don't ever comment. And you're laughing, and the reason you're laughing is because why is All Things Plymouth and other things like that such a cesspool? Because it's an opportunity to simply say things we would never say publicly and we see people going back and forth about the most ridiculous things, and they get desensitized. We just treat people like objects. We treat people like strangers instead of neighbors. It happens all over the place. However, Jesus wasn't a taker. He wasn't. Jesus did not come for his needs, for his ideas. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. We have a slide for this. So Jesus came not to be served because when we take, I see myself. I see my wants. 
I see my needs. I see my preferences. I see my entertainment. And as we're looking at a different way to live in 2024, what I want to invite you is, hey, if in our most difficult moments, if in our shadow selves, as they say, if we're realizing this, if we're saying, wow, you're right, I get to these points where it's not that I'm trying to be a bad person, but I get desensitized by all the things going on in, in our world, in my family, in my society. But I have an opportunity to realize that when I'm seeing everything as myself, my wants, my needs, my preferences, my entertainment, it's not that I need to improve, what can I do? I can let go and I can say, wow, I don't need to continue down this rabbit hole. I don't need to continue acting like this. So here's a question for you. Since Jesus wasn't a taker, will we have the courage? Will we have the courage to acknowledge the times we become takers? Are you willing to try that? Are you willing to say, hey, this wonderful story, this gives me an opportunity to say there are times when I treat people like objects. There's times when I'm just desensitized by everything. You know, the best thing I can do in 2024 is when that happens, I can pause. And maybe I'm just living my life and going through, and I'm in the grocery store, I'm in my workplace, I'm in a conversation with my spouse, and I stop. And I think in my head, Lord, what would you have me do next? Lord, would you give me the courage to, to be open to you in this moment? Now, that's one way. And I hope that we can all agree. Can we agree that being takers is not a good way to live? Okay, let's do another one. So we could be takers. We could also be bystanders. And I really think this is the most applicable one for 2024, isn't it? We really live in a society where we do a lot of not my problem. Do you ever feel like that? You see things going on. And you look around and you say, well, fortunately, that's not my problem. And the challenge is, is it's not that we need to overfunction in every area. It's not that we need to insert ourselves in everything. But as followers of Jesus, we're looking at the world and we're looking at people. And if we're saying not my problem all over the place, are we viewing people as neighbors? We're not. We're starting to see a lot of strangers and just saying, you know, not my problem. I, well, I, I wouldn't do it that way, but nothing I can say at all, and I'm just going to kind of move on. And I could probably do something, but just not my problem. Now, in this story, so Jesus tells this story about a priest and a Levite come by. And sometimes you can wonder, what's a priest and a Levite? If you remember, a year ago, we went through the Bible, and we did this whole thing on Leviticus. Let me explain what these people are. So you've got this poor, sweet guy who's just walking down the road, and he gets attacked, right? And now a priest comes by. What is a priest? A priest is a person who stands between God and the people, and he's supposed to give sacrifices. And this guy comes, and he sees a guy bleeding on the ground. Why doesn't he step in? Because this person on the ground is bloody. He's now unclean. If the priest reaches down and does anything, the priest is now going to be inconvenienced. He can't do the temple sacrifices. He can't have lunch with all the buddies at the temple. He's got to remove himself from society and be unclean. Do you see? It's inconvenient to help. The temple assistant, the same thing. If he puts himself into this, there's social cost. And so the two of them, one just walks by, one gets close. You notice that the temple assistant gets really close and kind of wonders, hey, am I going to do something? And moves on. They bystand. 
Now you can say, I don't really get why these people would buy stand. Don't they have a responsibility? So often when we have a responsibility, instead we primarily see myself, my busy schedule. Oh, you, there's a guy bleeding on the ground, but I got to get to the temple because there's one guy here and there's a thousand people there that I got to serve. Well, my past mistakes, you know, if I helped him here, I probably wouldn't do a very good job. Someone else could do it. My insecurities, hey, if I helped him, I'd probably just make the situation worse. And we all bring this into our lives, and we have a million different ways where this is a challenge for us. But here's the thing, and, and I want to be really clear. Sometimes we think that this is just an issue of long time ago. But our culture conditions us in all sorts of ways to, to bystand, and sometimes for good reasons, right? You think about, okay, if I'm driving along the side of the road and there's someone in a ditch bleeding, would I step in and help them? We like to say yes. But the challenge is there's something called the bystander effect. Have you ever heard this phrase? The bystander effect is the idea if there is someone with a need, and here they are and here I am, I might help. But if there's two people, I'm going to look at that person, the other person, and I'm going to say, hey, this person's better qualified than me, and now I'm going to stay out of it. If there's three people, there's almost no shot that anything is going to happen. And we see this just en masse in our society. We see this in our families, don't we? When something happens, and a lot of people have an opportunity to help and to serve and to follow Christ and to make a difference, and instead there's a lot of bystanding that happens. Now, you can say, well, that doesn't really happen today. Well, I want to show you a picture of a handsome guy. See this guy? If he walked into our church, we'd all greet him, right? We'd be thrilled to have this guy come into our church. Yeah, he'd come in, he'd grab a cup of coffee, he'd shake his hand, hey, welcome to Faith Community Church. It's so nice to see you. But this handsome guy, in the beginning of April, I'll tell you the date. Here's an article. April 6, 2023. Tragic video shows dying Cash App founder Bob Lee was ignored by bystanders as he begged for help after being stabbed in San Francisco. So the challenge is, is that we come into lives, that guy was ignored. That guy was just treated like, hey, that'll be someone else's problem. And there's a video of it, and he's sitting there, and he's stabbed, and he eventually dies. Now, here's the thing. We have the opportunity to live differently than that. We have these stories that we hear in society. We have these things we read in the Bible. And then we say, do I have an opportunity to live a different? Yes, because I'm going to have a Jesus mindset in 2024. Jesus wasn't a bystander. Here's my question for you. Will we have the courage to acknowledge the times we become bystanders? Will we have the courage to realize there are times we say, not my circus, not my monkeys, when there is a part I can play, when there's something going on in my workplace and I can step in, where there's something going on in my family and there's a need and there's been this diffusion of responsibility and everybody's being passive, but everybody's not me and I love Jesus and I'm not improving my life, I'm being open to the Holy Spirit's guiding in my life, therefore I have the chance to say, okay, nobody else is doing anything, but the Lord wants me to do something. And then it's not that I step in and make the situation worse. Then I say, okay, God, I'm willing. What would you like me to do? And we pray and we listen. Will we have the courage to acknowledge the times we become bystanders?
Now, here's the good news. There's three ways to live. Can we agree that taking is something we should identify and we should remove from our lives? Can we agree? Can we also agree that bystanding, it's something we need to identify, have the courage to identify and remove from our lives? Can we agree? So therefore, what is the Jesus way? What is the way we want to live? The way we want to live is with compassion. Jesus tells this story of this Samaritan. Now, I really appreciate it. In one of our discussions this past week, someone said to me, hey, what is a Samaritan? Is that like a political party? Is that like there was kind of the Jewish political party and the, the Samaritan political party? Let's explain real quick. And if you've ever wondered that question, you're in good company because the guy who asked me is a brilliant guy. Now, here's the thing. In this ancient world, you had a group of people called the Jews. And they're talked about in the Old Testament. And when we get to the Jewish people, there's how many tribes make up the Jewish people? Twelve of them, right? Okay, and they go through this whole thing, and they have an opportunity to follow God, and they're not exactly faithful and obedient, and eventually they get split into how many kingdoms? Two kingdoms, okay? Ten go up north, two go south. And eventually there's more disobedience and stubbornness, and the Bible actually calls them stiff-necked, and eventually what we see is that the first northern kingdom is destroyed and the southern kingdom now remains. And then the southern kingdom is taken into exile and there's a return and there's all these things. And you could say, that's really complicated and confusing. It's not, we can put it on a chart. But the point is, by the time of Jesus' day, there's a group of people named the Jews who believe that they've followed things really well and they're faithful and they've become kind of legalistic and they haven't done things perfect. They are just a complicated group of people, and that's where they are. The people who give Jesus a hard time are from there, and the people who follow Jesus are from there. Some are doing great. Some are doing not so great. It's complicated. Then there's another group called the Samaritans, and they live geographically in another place, and they too believe that they're the faithful followers of God. The Jewish people have their holy mountain, and the Samaritans have their holy mountain. And literally, the Jewish people dislike the Samaritans so much that instead of walking through Samaria, they will walk all the way around just to not have to be with those people they despise. Now we say that, and then you say, oh, that's kind of adorable, so they didn't like each other. No, it's more than that. And I want to be clear, when we look at this story, Jesus is challenging our understanding of what it means to have a neighbor and what it means to have an enemy. Because Jesus is making it clear that the Samaritans and Jews who just do not like each other at all, that they still, each individual has a responsibility to look and to say, I can treat that person like a neighbor. If Jesus was telling this story today, it was an offensive story then, and it would offend us now. Here's what he'd say now. Remember these kind of stories? We look at the stories of Jesus and we say, hey, these are, these are so sweet, these are so nice, my sweet grandma liked these stories. They really meant a lot to her. I don't understand why they didn't like Jesus. But Jesus told these kind of stories and then they put him to death. Okay? They, they didn't like him. They went after him because he told these kind of stories. Here's how Jesus would tell this story today. There was a man who was a member of the Israel military and he was walking down the road and he got attacked by a bunch of thieves. He was laying in a ditch. And then a Jewish religious leader walked by and ignored him. 
And then a Jewish political leader walked by and ignored him. And then a member of the Hamas military walked by and went down and picked him up and put him in his tank or his Jeep and drove him and helped him out. It's an offensive story. Can we see that? Now, here's the point. Because what Jesus is saying is, hey, we need to view others with compassion. We need to look beyond ourselves. Compassion is not simply saying, hey, I have an opportunity to do nice things for people that are sweet and kind. Look around in this room. We want to help the people in this room. The people in this room are not our enemies. The people in this room are the people that are part of our community. When we help the people in this room, it's wonderful. But Jesus is saying even go a step further than that. Think of the person who makes you really uncomfortable. Think of the person who is at your workplace and you think you have cause for that person to be fired. Think about your in-law who you wish you could just make disappear from your family. Okay? I can give a million examples of this. Think about the person dating your teenage daughter that you are like, I can't believe we're here. Okay? Now, Jesus is not saying... Hey have, no, hey, have no beliefs. Jesus is not saying don't have values. Jesus is saying treat these people with compassion. Look beyond ourselves and realize these are not strangers. They're made in the image of God. Every single person in our world is made in the image of God. Genesis 1.27. That means that God loves every person, desires to have a relationship with every person, and then what do we do if we're going to be open? If we're going to be open, that means we too say, wow, you may not be my favorite person. I may view you as a stranger or an enemy, but I know that the Lord is leading in my life and simply wants me to treat you as a neighbor. That doesn't mean I need to have no needs or no boundaries. That means I need to be praying for you, and I need to realize it's not about me. Compassion allows us to see past ourselves I want to ask you a question. Why is it so hard to view others with compassion? Think about that for a second. Because we know that that's one of the wonderful things about Christians, right? Christians at our best, when we are following Christ, we live with compassion. But why is it so hard to let the gospel be relevant in my marriage? Why is it so hard to have compassion for my spouse when, I, when I'm just like, oh, but I have all these reasons? Why is it so hard to bring the gospel into my parenting? Why is it so hard to bring the gospel into my workplace? Do you ever feel this way? We say, hey, I've got this intellectual belief in God, but you don't understand, like, that's fine, that was the Bible, but like, this is hard. Like, I, I don't have the ability, I don't have the ability to forgive, I don't have the ability to look at these people as neighbors, these aren't my neighbors, these are my enemies. Jesus' mindset is compassion. Jesus asked us to look and say, wow, I have the opportunity to see people as neighbors, and it's going to change everything. Now, fortunately, in our lives, we don't usually have to deal with something as difficult as what Jesus described. Jesus described a Jewish person and a Samaritan person. We look and say that'd be the equivalent of a member of the Israeli army and the Hamas military. Now, usually, we don't have to deal with that. We find ourselves just kind of viewing people as objects, or we find ourselves just simply viewing people as strangers because we get kind of conditioned that way. So I want to tell you a story. 
I've been in school for much of my life. 34 years old now. For years and years and years, I've had professors, and I was a teacher for a while, and I just feel kind of schooled out. Does anyone else feel schooled out? Like, if I have one more continuing ed class, I'm going to cry kind of schooled out? We can have that in our lives. Now, because of that, I have been desensitized in a way where when I have a professor, I don't really view that person as a person that's a professor. They're there to give me a grade. I'm not going to criticize them, but they're a stranger to me. I just leave them alone. Okay? And I just realized, hey, that's the professor. I'm the student. We're in this kind of transactional relationship. So what I'm just going to do is I'm going to give that person space, write a good paper, get it a good grade, everybody moves on. The gospel challenges this. So if you have this in your life, I want to challenge you to say, let's not do that. Let's start to view people as neighbors. And let me show you an example of what happens when we do. A week ago, I went to Kentucky, and I had a class. And I had a professor. And once again, the professor looked really smart. He had a million degrees. He had all these different things that made me feel separate from him and less than. So I start the week by once again giving him his space, calling him doctor, and just really treating him as a stranger. But then the whole topic of the week for me, because I'm in seminary, was hearing God and having a life of prayer. And one of the things that he starts to share is that even though he's our professor, he's going through a major discernment in his life. He's got two roads that have emerged, and God seems to be blessing both of them. He can go serve a church in Texas, or he can continue serving as a tenured faculty at Asbury. And he's really conflicted because he feels like God's kind of showing that this is a way he can go and this is a way he can go. And we don't know it, but he's really struggling all week. And he's really kind of, this is eating him alive. Now, by Thursday of the week, it was a five-day intensive. By Thursday, my classmates and I really have this sense that, hey, it would be nice to put together a card that we all signed for him, to just treat him, treat him like a neighbor. And we're going to put together a little gift. So we pull some money and we write a card. And the card is just says some nice things, and the, and the money goes towards a gift card for him and his wife to go to a restaurant. And we hand it to him, and he cries. And let me tell you why he cries. Because it says, I have been teaching forever. I have never had a class do this for me before. And I've been going, as you know, through this really difficult discernment, and I've not known where God was directing me. And just the fact that you treated me like a person is really giving me clarity. Now, he didn't tell us what the clarity was. We'll find out, because if he's still there in a year, I'll know. But here's, here's the truth. And it's not about how great David is or the class. I simply needed that week not to read a bunch of books. I didn't need to learn one more thing. I needed to realize that there was a group of people, professors, that I was viewing as strangers. I guarantee that every single one of us in here has someone or a type of group of people that we treat as strangers instead of neighbors. What is the Lord asking us to do? Let's identify some neighbors today. So what I'm going to do is instead of having a prayer team come forward, instead of having an opportunity to do a one-on-one -on -one thing, I want to ask you a question. And I want to be really, really clear. If you are at a place where you have some group of people or some person 
that you are treating as a stranger. I believe God has a direct message for you, and no, it's not boom, 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 boom. It's a general thing. Ready? Here it is. When we see people as neighbors, it changes everything for us and for them. When we realize that we are in this together and we're not here to see strangers that we take from or bystand, but we have an opportunity to have the Jesus mindset of compassion, it changes everything for all of us. And so I have a prayer that I've written, and I'd like you to pray it this week. And here's the first prayer. It's going to ask, are there people in our life we're taking advantage of? Are there people in our lives that we're bystanding? And so what I'm going to ask is we're going to read this together, and we're going to take a moment, and we're going to, we're going to let it sink in. Let's pray this together. Lord, where in my life am I taking advantage of others? Where am I bystanding? Who are the specific people I am treating like strangers? Now we're going to be silent for a moment. I want you to bow your heads with me, and I want you to, I want you to, it's not that we're going to get an immediate answer, but let's pray for a moment. And I'm going to read it again as we're praying. Lord, where in my life, where in our lives, are we taking advantage of others? Where are we bystanding? Who are the specific people we're treating like strangers? I want you to wrestle with this this week. And here's a second prayer. God, you have compassion on everyone, even those I see as strangers. Help me from this point forward act out of compassion. What concrete step can I take next? God has really wonderful things for us as a community, us as individuals in 2024. It starts with compassion. If we're going to have a Jesus mindset, if we're going to have a year where we're going to get through, where we're going we're to be married, we're going to be parents, we're going to be grandparents, we're going to be children, we're going to be coworkers, it doesn't matter. You fill in the what we're going to be. If we're going to have the right kind of year this year, it's got to start with compassion. And so I want you to pray this aloud with me, and then we're done. God, you have compassion on everyone, even those I see as strangers. Help me from this point forward act out of compassion. What concrete step can I take next? Amen.